We're in a message series, a brief one, from a brief book of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk. I told you last week, if you can't find it, rest easy. It's between Nahum and Zephaniah. So you just go there and you'll, you'll find it. Um, and the little book of Habakkuk's three chapters, 56 verses. And the theme of this uh, brief series is simply dazed, confused, yet faithful. And the title of today's message is Waiting, Waiting on God. Let me put a photo here on the screen. This is a photo of the terminal man. Uh, Self-determined uh, title, The Terminal Man. Actually, a movie was made about his life, starring Tom Hanks, uh, uh, directed by Spielberg. The man's name is actually Moran Nasseri, and he was from Iran. Uh, he was exiled from uh, Iran. He was on his way to England, but in Paris, he lost his briefcase, all of his documentation. One thing led to another. And he ended up waiting in the Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris, Terminal 1, for years. He got too comfortable waiting. He tried to get out. People tried to help him, but he was waited and waited and waited. And in essence, that's the story of Habakkuk today. Waiting on God, and waiting on God can be incredibly frustrating, and I'm not sure that patience can ever be taught, but it can be learned. So let me just give you a brief reminder of uh, the book of Habakkuk, and I can do it by just putting some statements up here on the screen. Here's the first one. So the book of Habakkuk begins with the prophet Habakkuk, and by the way, he's a most unique prophet, and this is a most unique book. It's one of the minor prophets. There are 17 Old Testament prophetical books. Five are major, 12 are minor. The only difference between major and minor is length of the book. So Habakkuk is a short book, minor book, but with a major message, and he's unique in that he doesn't speak to the people. He actually speaks to God. And he has some complaints. And here's his first one. God, how long will you tolerate wrongdoing among your own people? Among your own people. I'm not just talking about godless, pagan, idol-worshiping others. I'm talking about your own people who know the law, who know the Torah, who know they should love their neighbor as their self, who know they should not commit adultery, who know they should put you, they know all this, and yet they thumb their nose at you, they're incorrigible, they're unrepentant, they're greedy, they're selfish. These are your people. God, how long are you just going to allow this to happen without trying to wake them up to do something? God says, Habakkuk, I hear you. And I am going to do something. I am going to wake them up. I am going to actually discipline them enough to get their attention. I'm going to send the Babylonians. <gasps> the Babylonians, that fearsome, ruthless, violent, ungodly nation. And they're going to come into Judah and they're going to discipline my people. And this leads to complaint number two. 
God, why in the world would you discipline your people through the Babylonians who are far worse? I get it that, that your people think church. I get it that your people, Judah, who know the law, that, that they're not necessarily walking in the light, they're not doing well, they're stubborn, they're hard-hearted, they're rebellious. But the Babylonians are far worse. Why would you use such an ungodly people to discipline your own people? And so we pick up in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1, where Habakkuk says, So I will stand like a guard to watch and place myself at the tower, and I will, you listening? Here you go. I will wait to see what God will say to me. I will wait to learn how God will answer my complaint. And so notice Habakkuk is waiting, but he's waiting in faith. He's not, there's a difference between grumbling and groaning, complaining in faith, and complaining and just walking away. Habakkuk still has some faith. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me. He said, I want you to write down the vision, write it clearly on clay tablets, so whoever reads it can run to tell others, it is not yet time for the message to come true, but that time is coming soon. The message will come true. It may seem like a long time, but you be patient and wait for it. One more time. It might seem like a long time, but you be patient and you wait for it because it will surely come. It will not be delayed. The evil nation is very proud of itself. That's talking about Babylon. It is not living as it should. And now here's a phrase that's so important, it's going to be repeated three times in the New Testament, in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. But those who are right with God will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Or as the NIV says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Are you catching this? God says, look, Habakkuk, I fully realize not everyone is a person of faith. And I realize that you are surrounded by perversion and ungodliness and lukewarmness and compromise and rebellious attitudes. You don't have to be that way, and you're not alone because righteous people in the midst of a cesspool of unrighteousness, the righteous will always live by faith, and you can too. Regardless of the craziness around you, the righteousness, the righteous will live and continue to walk by faith and in faithfulness. And now what God's going to do, he's going to say, look, you wonder why I might use the Babylonians to discipline my people. God says, now I'm, I'm about to tell you that the Babylonians are going to have their day. For those of you who are Bible students, you're going to get what I'm about to say. The handwriting is already on the wall for the Babylonian kingdom. They're ungodly and rebellious. They're going to have a short shelf life. 
but God's going to use them. By the way, does God still discipline nations today? We're not a theocracy, but neither was Edom or Syria or Babylonia. And God used them and disciplined them. Someone says, Mike, God ever discipline or already disciplined the United States of America? He knows exactly who we are. I believe he pours out kindness. I believe he pours out discipline. I believe it's important that we pray for our nation. But I'm not a prophet. And I can't speak into very specifics. Sometimes I believe that some of the most uh, potent discipline that comes to a nation and to a people is where God, to quote Romans chapter 1, God lets you have what you think you want. He turns you over. You want that? You choose that? Okay. I'll just let you have it. And you'll find out. It doesn't taste very good in the long run. But verse 6, chapter 2, God says, and, and Habakkuk will write this down, but all the nations the Babylonians have hurt will laugh at them. They will make fun of the Babylonians and say how terrible it will be for the one that steals many things. How long will that nation get rich by forcing others to pay them? I'm not going to continue to read, but what you have here is a taunting song. It's what Bible scholars call a taunting song. God says to Habakkuk, the Babylonians are going to have a short shelf life. They are wicked and godly people, and I'm going to bring judgment on them in due time. Um, and you, you know what a taunting song is, don't you? Yeah, you do. In late 1969, there was a group called Steam, and they had a number one record. And I've still heard this song done at ball games. When I was a kid, I'd participate. Probably as an adult, I participated. You know the song. It's a taunting song. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Yeah. You know, you're ahead. You're way ahead. You know, you're in the fourth quarter. That team, they're down for the count. So what do you do? You rub it in. You taunt them a little bit. That's what you have here. And it's a little taunting song. And let me put these words up here on the screen where Babylon is going to be judged in due time for their greed, their injustice, their violence, their morality, their idolatry. Let me read this statement regarding their idolatry. So how terrible it will be for the one who says to the wooden statue, come to life, and how terrible it will be for the one who says to a silent stone, get up. It can't tell you what to do. It's only a statue covered with gold and silver, and there's no life in it. But here's another phrase you've heard. But the Lord is in his holy temple. All the earth should be silent in his presence. And it's saying, 
People who worship idols are constantly saying, hey, wake up, say something, do something. My friend, you need to know in the midst of your questions, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of waiting, in the midst, in the midst of goofy things around you and even ungodly things around you, God's not asleep. He is in his temple, and you don't have to shout to wake him up. He's paying attention. Now, let me make a few practical observations. Here's the first one. So next week, we'll be in Habakkuk chapter 3. The book of Habakkuk begins with question marks, but it will end and conclude with an exclamation point. All right. Point number one, waiting on God, it's not for the faint of heart. It's uh, waiting is hard anytime. It's, it's tough being in the slow lane, but it's particularly hard when you're waiting on God for direction, for guidance, for deliverance, for healing, for hope, for intervention. It's not for the faint of heart. So how do you do it well? Some suggestions. First of all, Wait in God's presence. You are not alone. The Lord is with you. The Bible re repeatedly says the Lord is near. Yes, he's in his temple, his holy temple. He is high and exalted, and he's also with you. Nothing in your world is too small for him. Nothing in your world is too big for him. You wait in God's presence. He's with you. You're not alone. Secondly, wait on God's promises. Now, let me give a little caveat. Don't hold God to promises he never made. A lot of people do. He never promised you you're going to be CEO of the company. He never promised you you're going to make all state. But he did promise you grace and mercy. He did promise you that you can ask him for anything and he'll consider it. And he loves to give good gifts. But you wait on the promises of God. You count on his grace and his mercy. As we were singing today, his love indeed endures forever. You wait in his presence and the promises and you wait with others. Wait with God's people. Jesus taught us this. In that scene just before he goes to the cross, what does he do? He gets his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me. He said, my heart is so heavy, it feels like I'm going to die. Would you just come be with me, wait with me? And waiting is tough. And sometimes it's, it's important. We say, I can't do this alone. Would you... Pray with me, wait with me, check in with me. Let me put a phrase up here. In other words, when you're waiting, just do the next right thing, whatever it might be. I'm confused. I'm not sure what's, what the Lord's going to bring about here. Well, just do the next right thing. <laughs> a friend of mine was going through a crazy time in his life, and he said, Ronnie, here's what the next right thing was for me. This is going to sound really simple. He said, I know that Scripture tells me that this is important. Don't stop 
assembling with the saints. Because when you do that, you remove yourself from the possibility of encouragement and touch and except He said, my, my life was a mess, but here's what I did. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see what happens. Do the next right thing and see what God brings about. It's not for the faint of heart, waiting, it's not. But secondly, waiting on God means persevering through the in-between. Through the in-between. Uh, 39 years ago, I heard a sermon from a preacher out of Baltimore, Maryland. I do not remember his name, but I remember the sermon vividly. Here's the title. Between the launching and the landing. And he read a verse of scripture of Jesus launching a boat in the Sea of Galilee. And then he read another scripture of the boat arriving, landing. And he preached a sermon on between the launching and the landing. And I thought, how in the world can you get a sermon out of that? He did, and it was masterful. Again, I don't remember his name. I remember the sermon. There's a difference between promises made and promises realized. And he said, between the launching and the landing, a lot of stuff happens in between. Darkness will fall. Storms may arise. The waves may get heavy and large. So what do you do? Here's what you do. You need to have enough sense to call on the master of the seas. You need to have enough sense to call on the master of the skies. And he went on and he said, in essence, the launch of the boat, between the launching and the landing, there are storms. Between the launching and the landing, there are going to be times that are uncertain. Between the launching and the landing in between, there are going to be times of incredible fear. And here's what you do. You hang on to the master. You trust the master. You worship the master. You serve the master. And between the launching and the landing, between the in-between, I mean, here we are as believers, we're in that in-between time. We live on this side of the crucifixion. We live on this side of the resurrection. We have the promises of what's to come, but we're in between. All those promises are yet to be fulfilled in their ultimate glory. And as I mentioned last week, friends, don't you become one of those shallow Western believers who has a version of Christianity that's only this world only. If you have a this world only version of Christianity, this world's problems will absolutely overwhelm and derail you. But if you can tap in to the grand, wonderful story of God that has rescued you from the depths and has an eternal dimension beyond what you can even begin to imagine, that is a great strength. But right now, in between, we're going to have to persevere in that in-between time. And last of all, a very obvious uh, point, the righteous live by faith and faithfulness. That's what we do. That classic statement from Habakkuk, 
repeated three times in the New Testament, and here are those three times. Number one, Romans chapter 1. For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God, a right standing with God. I need it. I do not have it on my own. But there is a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Hmm. Here's a second usage, Galatians 3. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Listen, God's law is good. It clarifies right and wrong. But it can't redeem. It cannot forgive. And no one who is justified, you know what the word justified means. On your computer, you have justified margins. You can set things straight. They're crooked. They're off. But it makes things straight. To be justified means that which is broken is fixed. To be justified by grace means that I can now stand before God just if I'd never sinned. And it's an absolute hallmark teaching in the Bible. Miss that? You miss a major theme. It's kind of like if you go to Paris and you don't see the Eiffel Tower, you miss Paris. You go to London, you don't see Big Ben, you miss a feature, a hallmark feature of London. You go to San Antonio, you don't go to the Alamo. My goodness, you miss that on San Antonio. Somebody visits Houston and they don't sweat. They have missed out on kind of the essence. We live in a great, great city, wonderful place. You miss justification by faith, justification by grace. Ronnie, what about my good works? Good works are a great gift. They're, they're a fruit of our faith. But you can never trust good works for salvation. You know why? Your good works can never, out, can never cancel your not-so-good works. Secondly, you can never be good enough long enough. Just when you get a good streak going, you're going to blow it. You can never, ever be sure you've done enough. But Christ Jesus has. We have a righteousness from him. As Bible scholars have said for years, we have an alien righteousness. It's not from here. It's from elsewhere. It's from Christ. It's an alien righteousness that comes to us. It is by faith. And you know what it means to live by faith. If you've ever had surgery... You're saying to that surgeon, I'm going to trust you to do what I cannot do for myself. If you've ever flown on an airliner, you're saying to the pilots, I trust you to do what I cannot do for myself. If you've ever needed an attorney, you're saying to that attorney, I'm trusting you to do what I am completely inadequate and incapable of doing myself. And when we become Christians in our baptism, we're saying to Jesus, I fully trust you because only you can do what I could never, ever do on my own. That's why believers can never brag, but we can praise and we can worship. One more scripture, and it comes from Hebrews 10. Worship team, 
Why don't you go ahead and be making your places up here. But now I want you to be listening to this reading, everybody. Hebrews 10. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. You see what the Hebrew writer's doing? You know, the word faith has two features to it. Faith, believing, trusting, putting my weight down there, but also the idea of faithfulness. I can't offer God perfection, but I can offer faithfulness. And he says, but my righteous one, he quotes Habakkuk right here, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrank back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. How are we saved? The righteous become righteous by faith. And how do we live like saved people? The righteous live by faith and faithfulness. And so, my friends, my brothers and sisters, do you still have faith in the midst of everything that's going on around you? Do you have faith that sin doesn't get the last word, but that grace can get the last word? Do you have faith that death really has lost its sting? Do you have faith that prayer still matters? Do you have faith that God has a plan for his church and a purpose for you? Do you have faith that heaven is not a pipe dream, it's actually very real and lasting? Do you have faith that God will not leave you? And he will not forsake you. Do you have faith that in all of these things, we, can, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us? Do you still have faith that whatever you sacrifice, whatever you endure for Jesus, it's absolutely worth it? We're saved by faith and grace. We live like saved people by grace and faith. Keep waiting, waiting in faith, waiting in hope, not waiting in grumbling and groaning. You can take those groans to God, but your perseverance in faith and your perseverance in hope and love is incredibly inspiring to others around you. God bless you.